Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. In so many ways, adoption can be one of the most complicated ways of expanding your family. This choice can be frightening and stressful, as bringing in any new addition can be. Regardless of the relationship, though, one fact does not change. Even when the relationship with the biological children is strained or even broken, an adoptive child is not in replacement of, but in addition to. That child is still their child. Last week, we started a conversation about the remnants of Israel, but the question remains, are they no longer God's people? Are they beyond recovery? And the answer is, of course not. Let's join Curtis as he guides us through Romans 11. So for those of you joining us online, good morning, welcome, good to see you guys. Uh, today we're going to look at Romans chapter 11. If you want to turn to it in your Bible or open it up on your phone. Romans chapter 11. On my dad's side of the family, I have a Dutch heritage. And in World War II, Holland was occupied by the German army. It was very destructive, very hard on the country. Um, there was a huge underground movement and a lot of people were resisting the Germans and some people felt like, no, if the Germans are here, we gotta work with them. So um, neighbors stopped trusting neighbor. Real, it was a really uh, not comfortable time in, in Holland's history. So when it was done, the government commissioned an author, a famous author named Anna de Vries to write the story of, the, of Holland through World War II, through the book, Journey Through the Night. It's actually a four volume set, and this is the first one. Um, and it's written to sort of teenagers, it's written kind of at that level, from the perspective of a young teenage boy and his experience of four years going through the war and what happens to his older brother and his father and, and all that. Part of the Dutch story through World War II has to do with hiding uh, Jews. There were a lot of Jews who lived in Holland and the Germans wanted to find them and take them away. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Dutch Christians felt like or believed that the Jews were God's people. They are the apple of God's eye and so they needed to be protected. And it was part of their discipleship, part of the way they expressed worship to God was hiding the Jews um, at, and it, at their own cost. And it, it's a fascinating story, and there's other books written about it, um, because, because neighbors couldn't trust neighbors, neighbors didn't know who was hidden even next door. Uh, and there are other books written where, um, so there's one book, I can't remember the name of the author, but she was one of the resistance workers and she was finding homes for Jews and she was frustrated with this one family, but they were unwilling to take any Jews into their home and hide them in their home. And she's like, what's the matter? And this is, Christ would ask, us the, of, would ask this of us, found out after the war, they already had like five or six Jews in the home <laughs> hiding, but you, neighbor didn't trust neighbor. So, uh, so it's, it's a really interesting part of the, of the Dutch story. That the Jews were the, are the apple of God's eye, and so we will risk our lives to protect the Jews. And this is, you know, World War One, World War Two. Sorry, happens before the national, before the nation of Israel has formed, because our current nation of Israel formed in 1948. So this is while Jews are scattered throughout the world. 
When you think about the Jewish community or Israel as a nation, does anything particular come to your own mind? Currently, like just in your own life, yeah. I, have not, I don't have a lot of Jewish friends. Um, I've had two particular ones. The one guy who cuts my hair is, is uh, ex-military, ex-Soviet Union, uh, from, now from Israel, Jewish guy, a great guy with man hands. <laughs> so the first time he cut my hair, it was like, whoa, this is a barber. <laughs> it was great. Um, and, I, and I had friend, I was friends once with a, a, a Jewish rabbi, a Messianic Jew. Um, so someone who'd become a Christian, and an older gentleman, um, who just spoke with uh, humility, but with, with um, wisdom. Like he just, it was just so neat to listen to to what Michael would have to say. So we're talking about Israel today. In, as we, let me recap from where we've been in the book of Romans. Through chapter nine to the end of chapter 11, Paul's been answering this question, why did Israel not respond to the message of Jesus at the time of Jesus? And there's been several pieces to that answer. And last week, we realized Paul is saying part of why they didn't respond to Jesus had to do with discipline. God was disciplining them because of their behavior towards him over their several thousand year relationship. But that story's not over. What's the plan for Israel? What happens to it? That's what the text today is gonna to talk about. And, and you might ask, why does it matter that we would know what happens to Israel? Well, part of it is it helps us understand what God is like. What is God like when he disciplines? What is God like when he works with his people? And what is, what is God like with his promises? And it also helps us understand who we are in relationship to Israel. So let me offer a prayer and we'll, we'll read through um, the second half of chapter 11. Father, Father, would you once again come and speak to us through your word? Once again, would you draw our attention to what you want us to see about yourself and your salvation plan and what it means to follow you. And this particular day, Lord, as we talk about Israel and your people, help us to learn well and to, um, to be wise. This is not a subject we've talked about very often here. So um, I ask that your grace would be with us. Yes, amen. So chapter 11 in the book of Romans, I'm gonna start at verse 11 which is the last piece of, of the book. So did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, Think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I am saying this all especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, 
their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because a portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, then the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, you who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the rich blessing God had promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment of the word of God's, sorry, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ, and so then all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. But they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercies come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts and who knows enough to give the Lord advice? And who has given him so much that God needs to pay it back. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So what does Paul say will happen to the Jewish nation? The Israelites, in the end, they will turn to Christ and be saved in large numbers. But right now, their hearts have been hardened but it will not always be so. Why? 
because of the promise God made back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, the covenant he made with them, they are his holy people. They are special to him. So the word holy, uh, I've probably said this before, part of the definition of the word holy means to be set apart for special use. You ever, you know, some homes they have uh, special china that is for fancy dinners, that's holy china. Or if you've got special clothing that you only wear for some events, that's special clothing, that's holy clothing. So when I do a wedding, I wear a suit. It's the only, weddings and funerals, the only time I wear a suit. So it's special, it's holy clothing. That's the idea. So it says in verse 16, since Abraham and the other patriarchs are holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of a tree are holy, the branches are holy too. So Israel is set apart for God. They are holy. They are special to him. And God promised back thousands of years ago to bless the world through them, to work salvation history through them. Jesus came through that root. And even as all, even in all the words in the Old Testament that are focused on disciplining Israel, and all the times God is mad at Israel, there's always these promises, I will restore you. You will come back to me. And God keeps his promises. And not only that they would return to God, but when they return to God, there will be a special blessing. So verse 12 says, now if the Gentiles, us, were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. Or verse 15, for since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. When they return, there's going to be something even more incredible that happens. And there's, there's a lot of commentaries who are trying to discuss what does this phrase, life for those who were dead, mean? Does it mean that Israel will come back alive? Is it saying that the, that's when the world ends and Jesus returns? Perhaps, though, if, Jesus, if Israel is being restored by God, and God had always intended to bless the world through them, just imagine a fullness of God's blessing coming to the world. Like who knows how good this blessing could be. God keeps his promises. I wanna pause there. God keeps his promises that he made 3,000 years ago. He is faithful. He doesn't give up on folks even when he's disciplining them. And when God restores, it's like he restores greater than what he took away in the discipline. Like whatever he stopped for the discipline, the restoration is bigger. That's what God is like. So I mentioned I performed a wedding yesterday. Um, it takes a fair bit of work to, to deliver uh, a wedding and to run a rehearsal. Um, because in a wedding rehearsal, 
Uh, sometimes I am meeting more of the family at one time, and there are two sides of the family, and there's always a couple people on whatever side that have opinions as to how this ceremony should go, even though I'm the one leading it. Uh, and so the rehearsal on Friday didn't go as smoothly as I had hoped. It didn't go bad. It just wasn't great. Uh, it took, I like rehearsals to be about an hour, and this one pushed two hours. Um, and they have, so this is a, a, a remarriage for both. They have five kids already, all under, all under the age of 13. Um, and these poor kids did the best that they could to hold focus for two hours. Um, and the next morning I was praying through, okay, what could I have done differently? What do I need to learn? Who might be upset at me? No one was upset at me. Um, and I real, as I was praying, I realized how God relates with us differently when we make mistakes than how other gods would relate to us differently, which picks up what Barry was getting at, at the beginning. God doesn't punish us when we get a few details wrong, or he doesn't condemn us when things don't go perfectly. He comes alongside, he helps us to learn. And that's different than other gods. A lot of the gods in history, especially at the time of Rome, those gods had very little patience with humans. And if a human made a mistake in the worship of them, well, the God would just ignore them or would bring down a, a curse or bring down punishment very quickly. Um, gods had historically very little patience with humans. And even our gods today are not always patient. And I think Barry picked up on that. Like our systems are, we like to punish and be punitive and it doesn't work. So if you worship, some people worship their spouse. Does your spouse always patiently come alongside you? Or at times, are they rather demanding? Or if you worship your kids, because people worship their kids, are your kids naturally forgiving and come alongside and helpful? No. <laughs> what if you worship your employer or your boss? Are they forever patient and forever coming alongside and helping you? No. What if you worship your health or your income? Are they forgiving gods? No. God is different. So here we have the Lord who, after years and years of patience and long suffering and communication with his people, finally really disciplines them. And when he's finishing discipline, he finishes his discipline, he says, I promise that the world is going to be blessed greater than we've ever seen as I restore you. That's a, that's a good God, but that is a very different God than our world worships. So that's what happens to Israel. What does that mean for us? Well, it means we need to remember <clears throat> we are saved into a people. There is one people of God. There is one family of God. And the root of that tree started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and it grew into the people of Israel. And all the nations of the world, as they respond to Jesus, are being grafted back into the root of that tree, into that tree. Jesus is a Jew. And when the time of the Gentiles is over, when the time for us to respond to Jesus is over, the nation of Israel will respond, and the people of God will be complete. Which means there's no room for prejudice and hostility towards Jewish people. There's no 
There's no room for arrogance about ourself or the church regarding Israel. In Rome, in the Roman mindset, a person earned citizenship into the state. You could become a soldier and fight for Rome, or you fight for a few years in the army, and then you'd be granted citizenship, or at least partial citizenship. Or if you had a lot of money, you could buy citizenship in the nation. And it would be really easy for people with that Roman mindset to think, I am earning being part of God's family. Even if I earn it by my faith in Jesus, somehow I'm earning this. And that can very subtly cause a person to look down on the Israelite nation that rejected it. In the book of Acts, uh, as the message of Jesus went out, there's incident after incident after incident of the message going to the Jews in a synagogue, them rejecting it, and then going to the Gentiles. And so be, if you have a, I'm earning this, I'm doing this mindset, it's, it's easy to very subtly condemn the people who rejected the message. But anti-Semitism, sorry, not but, uh, anti-Semitism has always followed in the shadow of the church, and that's bad. That is not the teaching of Scripture. Anti-Semitism is not a teaching in Scripture. Some types of anti-Semitism would say, well, the Jews killed Jesus, therefore, what, we can treat the Jews badly? But you've heard this, the Jews killed Jesus. Again, let me be clear, that is not what Scripture teaches us. It, that is muddled thinking. Yes, the Jews were there. The Jews were the drivers in the accusations. Um, the Jews drove uh, the crucifixion. But were the Gentiles there too? Yes. Were they fully guilty in what they did? Like, were, did, did any Gentiles swoop in as a superhero to save the day? No. They contributed to, they did the beating. They did the actual crucifixion. So in Scripture, they're both guilty. But more so, in Scripture it says that this was God's plan. In Acts 2, Peter is talking uh, to a crowd of people just after Pentecost, and Paul, uh, Peter says, this man Jesus was handed over to you to be crucified by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This was God's plan for Jesus to die. And if Jesus hadn't died, if Jesus hadn't been crucified, we would not have salvation. So instead of blaming the Jews, what if they took the hit for us? What if they took the hit for us? Let me explain. Before my dad passed away, we were beginning to talk about whether he needed to be put in 24-hour care. Um, and we sort of had three or four months to give that a thought. And one specialist or advisor we were talking with said to us as a family, one of you has to become the bad guy. Someone has to be the guy or the person that your dad will blame for the rest of his life. And you might agree that putting him in a home is the right step, but someone has to be the target of your dad's anger and blame because he won't understand. Someone's got to take the hit. Now, before we could make that decision for our family, my dad passed. But what if part of being the chosen people, part of being the drivers in the story, is they took the hit for us? They had to be the bad guy because somebody had to be the bad guy to save the world. 
If that's true, there is no room for arrogance or pride or hostility towards the Jewish people. Verse 17, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, you were branches from a wild olive tree. You've been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God had promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were cut off. You are just a branch. You are not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there basically only because you do. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. So Paul's giving us a really interesting analogy. The normal way of grafting a plant into a root is that you take a, a, a cultivated branch and you graft it into a wild root. Because a wild root, one that is natural to the environment, is stronger. It's got a better root system. It's more resistant to disease. It's a strong base that you then take the tender plant that you want and graft it in. Paul's analogy is backward. We're a wild, crazy branch that he grafts into a delicate, special, holy root. We are common, and we're being grafted into what is holy. Why does Paul use this weird imagery? It's part of this warning to keep the faith. It's very easy to incorporate a natural, uh, a holy branch back into a holy root, and it's pretty easy to take a wild root out of a holy plant. Like, stay humble. We are only in God's family because of faith. And if you lose your faith, you can be removed again. If you stop trusting in God and his grace, you can be removed. Well, when would that happen? In our context in Rome, in, in Romans, if we start boasting and bragging and being proud of ourselves in light of Israel, we're on that path of being taken out. Or to say it another way, we have no biological right to be here. So there's a vulnerability with faith. Let me add one last thought. Sometimes people have suggested the church replaces Israel, that God changed his mind, so to speak, and that the time of Israel is over and God will only now work through the church. Others think that God will restore Israel, but not through faith in Jesus, but through some other system. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture talks about God creating one new man out of two, taking Israel and the church and making them into one people. The book of Romans as a whole is about how this group fits together. The book of Ephesians, I say this, is about the two becoming one. We are here because of faith. All of us are gonna be here because of faith, because of God's grace to us through Jesus. Now that we are part, uh, let me end with this, now that we're part of the tree, God's people on earth, Let's consider that some of the responsibility given to Israel now applies to us. That God, as God intended to bring his blessing to the world through Israel, he now intends us to share in that same responsibility. 
So God is calling you to work through you to bring his blessing to the world. Sometimes I notice that I am honored by different people. Uh, I am honored by people who are not Christians because of my relationship with God. I might just see it how they talk with me and how they treat with me. Um, they see me as a bridge, a way to honor God. Like if they honor me, they honor God. Or if they talk with me, somehow they can get a perspective on what God is like. Now, that's one reason I get asked to do weddings. And I, I'm learning that if they are talking with, if they are giving me honor because I am a disciple, then I need to respect and respond properly to that honor. And that would be the same for you. So I want to not minimize or dismiss when they talk with me. Like, I don't wanna, oh, I'm just a person, da, da, da. If they're somehow, you know, you're a Christian, could you pray for dinner? Yeah, I will, let me do that responsibly. Especially if no one there knows how to pray and they just think you're the one. Um, and I, I've been in ground crowds where that has happened, I'm, like I'm not present, but there is a Christian who's new in their faith or is shy in their faith but non-Christians will say, you're a Christian, can you pray for the meal? And they'll be like, oh no, I can't. You're the Christian, pray for the meal. That's why you're there. It's not gonna save the, the room, but they're, because of who you are, they are responding to God that you represent. If someone asks advice of you, they're asking advice because you are a disciple. What does God think about when they're asking you, because somehow you're closer to God, you should know. So be responsible with that and do the best you can. And at other times you'll be persecuted and insulted because you're a Christian. That's part of the deal too. So let me summarize and we can discuss this. Paul is finishing his thought on why so many Israelites have rejected Jesus. Is this rejection final? No. When the time of Gentiles is over, when a complete number's been saved, Israel will respond to Jesus. They are holy to God, set apart, special, and their restoration will bring an even greater blessing to the world because that's what God is like, and he is not like so many of those other gods out there, which means there is no, so we are grafted in to a holy root. There is no room for anti-Semitism, hatred or prejudice or hostility towards the Jewish community. There's just no room for that. We are wild branches grafted into a holy root. We are there because of faith, not our biology. But in that humility, we also get to participate in what God does with his people. We get to participate in the call to bring salvation to others, uh, the, to bring salvation and salvation history to others. So that's how uh, this discussion on Israel ends in Romans 11. What has caught your attention? What's kind of been going on in your mind? How's the Holy Spirit been, um, been speaking to you? So what stuck out to me this morning was the idea that the parts of Israel who don't believe, because there are people who, from a Jewish background who do, uh, they've been removed with the intention of being grafted back later, which means they have been granted special care. Because otherwise, if they're removed from the mother plant, they will die. Oh, interesting. And so just keeping that in mind that, yeah, we're being granted special care by being brought in. They're being granted special care too by being sustained 
until they're ready to come back. Interesting. Now, it's interesting. I, maybe 20 years ago, we were talking about huge numbers of Jewish folks who were converting to Christianity. I, don't, I haven't heard that story recently, but um, I remember 20 years ago, people talking about the number of Jews who were finding Christ, like something was happening around the planet. So, but I, I haven't followed that. Just looking at the intention that God had to make his people jealous by granting us salvation and considering how have I, through becoming a Christian, through living out God's plan, where in my life have I not made the Jews want salvation and how can I change those things? That's, I think, something I'm going to have to think on a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I know. I'm, I'm glad that you talked specifically, Curtis, about the fact that whole, like, Jews being called Christ killers through history. Like, that's been used against them. It probably still is being used. Like, it's, it's a way that people who consider themselves to be of what Christianized lifestyle or faith or background? I don't know. They're not Christians in right. the sense that I understand it at all. But they they feel very very free to be very very hateful towards anybody who is Jewish because they're considered a Christ killer, and that's uh, that's abominable. So I'm glad that that got mentioned. That's good. Um, and the, it seems to me that's the main reason. It was complicated, and yet it seems like it goes down to one point, which is why did the Jews not recognize that Jesus was... They were waiting. They were intentionally waiting, like, for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, they had been waiting for about 400 years. So what, five or six or seven generations, depending how old you tended to get at that point, um, waiting for this Messiah to show up and to be a big, big deal. They were waiting. They were looking for him. It wasn't, he wasn't a surprise. So why did they not recognize that this guy that was in front of them now was the guy that they were waiting for? Why did they not put those together? And I think it's because it just obviously he was not what they were expecting. He was not, he didn't look like what they thought. And he even fought without those ideas in his own disciples when they were like, well, aren't you going to now do the thing and do the thing and beat up the Romans? And, and, and he was like, mm, I still haven't got this people. And so the fact that that was that was the main reason it's really simple and it's something that humans do all the time is it wasn't what i was expecting so i missed it right and that you're talking about the idea of the call to humility that's another place where it's really crucial it's like a big reason why they missed it is because they weren't and it wasn't that they didn't have the information do you remember the they 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 said to the, the, the high priest at one point, what is, where's, what's this with Bethlehem? And they're like, oh yeah, it says blah, 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 blah. Like they knew they had all the information, but somehow they're still like, mm, that's not, that can't be it. Um, and so if we are willing to say, I think this is the thing, but God, if I'm wrong, I'm open to reconsidering this. That's, that's an important part of becoming a I think a human that actually will perceive God when he shows up in a situation in a weird way. It's a thought. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And as you're speaking, I was thinking kind of along the same lines as Paul, like what's, what's to be jealous of? What is there really to attract Jews, you know, to Jesus? It's just, 
as Christine said, you know, they missed it. There were others around the same time claiming to be messiahs. And they were all about triumph. They were all about, they were warriors. There were a, a couple there that actually incited revolts. So here comes Jesus, and he doesn't fit the picture at all. In their minds, there was nothing to attract them to, to him. And you mentioned how somebody had to be the bad guy. Well, yeah, ponder, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I agree with you. Right. Somebody had to be the bad guy. That, you know, God had a plan and it needed a bad guy. And I think maybe we have to think about, about Judas that way too. Interesting. You know, the Bible says that he was destined to do this. You know, you can say, well, I, you know, he had a choice. Well, if he had a choice and he made the choice not to, you know, betray Jesus, uh, then what? I like what you said. It reminded me of, um, is it the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises to be the hero that, that is needed? You know when Batman has to play the bad guy? Go watch the Batman movies. You'll see how it all fits. And it's cold outside, so you got something to do with the afternoon. I appreciate just uh, the topic and... Yeah, we'll um, talk about this. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I have, and I still have lots of questions around it. And um, I don't think my understanding is representative of all of scripture yet. And because I, I kind of wonder, you know, with Abraham and, uh, and he walks between those pieces uh, or the, the, he, he takes those animals and he cuts them in half and, and form, God forms that covenant with him, but only God walks through. Meaning if, if either party doesn't keep the covenant, may you end up like these animals who've been cut in half. But Abraham doesn't walk through, just God does. Um, and so then I was wondering, okay, obviously Israel did not keep the covenant. And so then whoever walked through this splitting in half has to happen to them. And, and so was that Jesus dying on the cross? Was God dying as a result of the broken covenant? And so then that covenant is now gone or demolished or no longer applicable. And so then what does the new covenant look like for Israel, but that doesn't quite fit with the Romans passage or, or does it? So I just kind of questions like that. And, and no one, no one else talks about, um, Jesus being Jesus ending the covenant with Israel. No one talks about that. So I'm, well, yeah, I'm with you on your questions. There's a, a passage in Jeremiah that says the Ark of the Covenant will be found no more. No, it will not be needed, not found, nor will it be recreated. Um, and I just stumbled across the other day. It was like, what, what is that all about? Like just that this prophecy that the Ark, which, you know, the covenant will not be needed, not be recreated. It's done. Yeah, like with a veil being torn in two. So just really interesting. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know what God will do in the end. Um, I do know that I, I'm not in any place to be proud. Um, and so and I also have this sense deep inside of me that Jewish people are very, are very important people. They're very special. Yeah. And, and, and I need to honor them. And so that, I just, I just, there's a sense inside of me 
my, my spirit inside of me says, no, we, we honor these people. Yeah. Like, like they're special. So that's kind of how I live. Yeah. Neat. Let me offer a prayer then and uh, we'll do a song. Father uh, and Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what is in your word. Um, Lord, we, we do want to honor your people and the story of salvation that comes through them. Goodness, the preservation of scripture, the preservation of history that has come from them and the way that you have both worked through your people and your heart has been broken and you have, you have hurt for your people. Father, thank you that your word tells us what happens next. And I would pray that that day would come, that your kingdom would come in its fullness, that your people would respond to you and that your people would be complete. And I look forward to the blessing of a renewed planet, uh, the blessing of full renewal that is coming. Thanks for this morning. Please continue to give us peace and guide us in our life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.